Blog Talk Radio. Coming to you live from the EAL Radio Show studio in Ponte Vedra, Florida. Thanks for listening to the Eastern Airlines Talk Radio. My name is Neil Holland, the producer of the show, and we have a great show lined up for you tonight. And to world, we say welcome. Enjoy this show. Eastern family and friends around the world, it's great having you with us. My name is Jim Hart, coming to you live from the beautiful West Palm Beach, Florida area, where the weather today was 87 degrees Fahrenheit. Welcome and thank you for listening and calling the show. You have truly made us the radio voice of Eastern Airlines. In fact, we can now say we become Eastern Airlines International Radio Show. We'd love to hear your comments and share your memories with radio listeners from around the world during the broadcast. If you haven't called the show before, all you need to do is call 213-816-1611 and just say hello to talk with us on the air live. We can identify many countries around the world who listen in with our blog talk radio application. Last I heard, it was about 40 countries that are hearing us today. Isn't it great that we can keep the Eastern legacy going out not only to the Eastern family, but to listeners from many different countries around the world? That's what we try to do every week on the EAL radio show. Won't you join us by adding your voice to these broadcasts? Our thanks also to those who choose to listen by computer using the radio icon on our homepage at www.ealradioshow.com or perhaps by signing in at the site of our provider, Blog Talk Radio, at www.blog, 
blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie. Should you wish to talk during our live broadcast, feel free to use our call-in number, 213-816-1611 at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Let me repeat the number so you can write it down for a Monday night visit. That's 213-816-1611. And by the way, tell your friends about us. And don't forget, you can listen to any of our 402 Monday night broadcasts and the 75-plus Thursday broadcasts by simply going to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie and scrolling down to the archive of broadcasts. You'll find some very interesting broadcasts there. Each episode is briefly nearly 500 episodes. Holy cow! Our lines are always open for calls, and if you choose not to participate and talk live with your host, we ask that you please mute your telephone as our producer does not have the capability of filtering out any background noises. Now, I see we're number one for takeoff, so Captain... Let's get flight number 402 in the air and heading to Portland. Tonight, we will identify each generation from the beginning of Eastern's history to its end. Every decade has been called by a significant name during this time. 1920s was called by most the Roaring Twenties. Let's begin with our Eastern musical countdown. The 1920s, as we said, the Roaring Twenties are the flapper generation. That was signified by the women in their dresses and their hats at the time. During the generation, we heard Fred Astaire sing and dance, too. 
Mr. Producer, would you please? Have you seen the well-to-do up and down Park Avenue on that famous thoroughfare with their noses in the air? High hats and arrow collars, white spats and lots of dollars, spending every dime for a wonderful time. Now if you're blue and you don't know where to go to, why don't you go where fashion sits? Putting on the ribs. Different types who wear a day coat, pants with stripes and cutaway coat, perfect fits. Putting on the ribs. Dressed up like a million dollar trooper. Trying hard to look like Gary Cooper. Super duper, come let's mix where Rockefellers walk with six or umbrellas in their midst. Putting on the wrist. on the Ritz was a song written by Irving Berlin. He wrote it in May 1927, first published it on December 2, 1929. Harold Picarn and his company, Picarn Aviation, it's probably the best time to start our musical history of Eastern Airlines. Eastern Airlines was a composite assortium of air travel corporations, including Florida Airways and Picarn Air Aviation. In the late 1920s, Picarn Aviation won a contract to fly mail between New York City and Atlanta, Georgia in a mail-wing single-engine aircraft. In 1929, Clement Keyes, the owner of North American Aviation, purchased Picarn. In 1930, Keyes changed the company's name to Eastern Air Transport. After being purchased by General Motors and experiencing a change in leadership, after the Air Mail Act of 1934, the airline became known as Eastern Airlines. With the competition, the completion of the lighted airways between New York and Atlanta, the inaugural flight of the Air Mail from Car and Aviation was made on the night of May 1, 1928. Because of the heavy volume of mail, a double schedule was arranged. Three PA-5 mail wing flew north. Two from Atlanta with Captain Gene Brown was first in the air, and one from Greensboro, and two flew south from New York area. Dorothy? Those of us born during the 1930s were children of the Depression generation. Times were very rough for our parents, and to encourage folks during this generation, we heard this song.
1938, World War One flying ace Eddie Rickenbacker bought Eastern from General Motors. The complex deal was concluded when Rickenbacker presented Alfred P. Sloan with a certified check for $3.5 million. In March 1939, Eastern had 15 weekday departures from Newark, six to Washington, five to Miami, and one east to Richmond, Atlanta, Houston, and San Antonio, two from Chicago to Miami, one from Tampa to Atlanta, and one from Tallahassee to Memphis. Those flights and their returns were Eastern's whole scheduled operations. It fit on one page in the Airways Guide. Then as later, Eastern was the fourth largest airline in the country by passenger miles, 103 million in 1939. And in 1931, Eastern Air Transport Air Hostess Service began. The manager was Ms. Mildred Johnson, and her first class of hostesses were Mrs. Ann Porter Cullum, head of hostess service, Miss Beulah Unruh, that's Newark, 138,000 flown in the first year. Miss Madeline Moon, Newark, 118,000 flown in her first year. And Miss Marion Cook, Newark, 108,600 in her first, flown in her first year. Then we had Miss Edwina Davis, DCA, Miss Rita Brady in DCA, Miss Ann DePriest, the same, Miss Carrie DePriest, Miss Doris Frost, Miss Gertrude Van Hoven, Miss Alice West, all in DCA. And we had two in Atlanta, Miss Catherine Turner and Miss Helen M. Keimer. When operations restarted after the airmail contract cancellations, Eastern was operating over 11,660 scheduled miles. Eastern was serving 26 cities. Former operations between New York, Atlanta, and Miami were extended to include three divisions, New York, Miami, New York, New Orleans, and Chicago, Miami. During the last half of 1934, Eastern placed in operation nine of the DC-2s out of 14 ordered. Curtis Condors operated on the New York, New Orleans route, and 1934, Eastern Airlines Incorporated was dissolved, and North America Aviation Incorporated took over the assets and operations of both Eastern Airlines Incorporated and Eastern Air Transport. This was done in order to comply with the provisions of the Air Mail Act of 1934. Operations of the companies were managed by North American Aviation Incorporated as the Eastern Airlines Division of North America Aviation Incorporated. Captain E. V. Rickenbacker, was Vice President of North American Aviation and became General Manager of Eastern Airlines on January 1, 1935. In July, the operations and maintenance base was moved from Atlanta to Miami. On October 14, the last open cockpit airmail flight by a scheduled carrier was made by Captain Shelley Charles in a Pitcairn mail wing from Chicago to Atlanta and continued on to Jacksonville by Captain J. F. Buckman. By the end of 1935, Eastern had 14 DC-2s and five Lockheed Electras. There were 589 employees. In 1936, 
male-only flight attendants, then called stewards, were added to the flight crew. On December 1, 1936, Eastern started flying the New Orleans-Houston route obtained when Wendell Williams Airline was purchased. And then in the next year, 1937, Lockheed Electors were retired and eight DC-3s added to this fleet. This was the year that Captain Rickenbacker started an effort to buy Eastern. In 1938, on April 22nd, Captain Rickenbacker and Associates bought Eastern, and EVR was named President and General Manager. They carried 162,246 passengers that year. In 1939, EAL became the first airline to use auto gyros flying from the airport to the roof of the post office in Philadelphia. During the 1940s, called by many the greatest generation, we heard this song on the airways in a salute to our men and women who had gone off a war which became World War II. Mr. Producer, would you put this hit song on the turntable? Chicago way. He had a bookie style that no one else could play. He was the top man at his craft. But then his number came up and he was gone with the draft. He's in the army now, a blowing reveille. He's the boogie woogie bugle boy of Company B. They made him blow a bugle for his uncle Sam. It really brought him down because he couldn't jam. The captain seemed to understand. Because the next day the cap went out and drafted a band. And now the company jumps. When he plays Reveille, he's the boogie-woogie bugle boy of Company B. A toot, a toot, a toot-de-la-da-toot-de-blow-de-day to the bar. In boogie rhythm, he can't blow a note unless a bass and guitar is playing with him. He makes the company jump when he plays Reveille. He's the boogie-woogie bugle boy of Company B. He was a boogie-woogie bugle boy of Company B. When he plays, he makes the company jump A to the bar. He's a boogie boogie bugle boy of Company B. Do 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 da da do da da da. Do do he blows it A to the bar. He can't blow a note if the bass and guitar isn't with him. And the company jumps when he plays Reveille. He's a boogie boogie bugle boy of Company B. Beginning of this decade in 1940, service was started in the LaGuardia Airport. 
in June, Easton operated the first area flight into the new Washington Airport, and the executive officers were moved to the new Easton building at Rockefeller Center. There were a total of 1,946 employees and 37 airplanes. The 10th year anniversary was August the 18th. Easton had been in the passenger carrying business for 10 years. More than 1 million passengers had been carried. Keith Parker and J.B. Armstrong were the captain and co-pilot on the first passenger flight. Eastern employees and people from around the world were shocked at the news in 1941. The captain, Eddie, was badly injured at the crash of a Douglas Sleeper transport bottle of the DC-3 near Atlanta. He would recover from this near-fatal crash. Jim, Jimmy Perry was the captain, and L. Thomas, the first name is not, both were killed, as was steward Clarence Moore and several passengers. Captain Eddie was severely injured and taken to an Atlanta hospital. Eastern was the first airline to fly a scheduled flight into the U. Washington Airport. This was 1941. Following the entry of the U.S. in World War II on December 7, 1941, Eastern's military transport division was created in April 1942, and many of Eastern's DC-3s went off to serve their country. In 1943, Captain Eddie and the crew went down in the Pacific. They were rescued after 23 days on a raft with most of the B-17 crews. In 1946, Captain Eddie ordered 50 Martin 202s, and the first DC-4 was put into service. The Eastern theme in 1946 was tried and proven. This year, the hat and the ring insignia of Rickenbacker's 94th Aero Squadron was adopted for use by Eastern in a sales campaign, later used for the 20-year pin starting in 1948, which was the 20th anniversary of Eastern. In 1948, the new Eastern theme was double dependability for aircraft and personnel. The decade closed with Eastern carrying over 2.223 million passengers. Mike Scott, you got it. And if you were born in the 50s, you were known as the baby boomer generation. The 1950s was a great big with great big convertibles cruising around town with the top down and rock and roll music cranked up high. Guys wore Levi's and T-shirts and sometimes packs of cigarettes rolled up in one sleeve. Black leather jackets was the cover, uh, cover of choice, and the popular hairstyle was the D.A. for the duck's rear end, or as we might say, is the duck's ass. <laughs> Were guys that had some long, long hair combed back on both sides so that it would form the shape of the duck's rear end, as we would say again. And some of them wore flat tops, as they also call it. I kid you not. Think of Fonzie on the TV show Happy Days. Elvis was a patron saint of the day, and the older brothers emulated all that. The girls were perky in their in their mid-thigh skirts, loved charm jewelry, and pulled back hair in a ponytail. They had much more polite names in their styles in the styles than the guys. Or their hair was puffed out a bit and teased in a roundish shape like Jackie Kennedy would wear. Their models were innocent girls like Sandra D or bad girls like Marilyn Monroe. All of this was captured in the much later movie Grease with John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John. The number one pick of the song of the 50s by the charts was Bill Haley and his Comets, Rock Around the Clock Tonight. One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. Five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, rock. Nine, 
10, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, rock, we're going to rock around 10 o'clock tonight for the Flat Rock Show. Oh, yeah. Join me, honey. We'll have some fun. Oh, The 1960s was called the hippie generation, 
and it was one of the most tumultuous and divisive decades in world history. Marked by, marked by the civil rights movement, the Vietnam War, and anti-war protests, political assassinations, and the emerging, quote, generation gap. During the 1960s, young Americans on and off campuses challenged conventional lifestyles and institutions. They protested the materialism, consumerism, and mania for success that was driving American society. They urged people to explore alternative patterns of work and domesticity. They challenged traditions surrounding sex and marriage. And they argued that all paths to deeper fulfillment, even those involving illicit drugs, could be justified. They believed they were creating a new America. And a new musical group came to America with this song. I want to hold your hand. Captain Rickenbacker 
remaining chairman on December 16, 1963. Another Eastern Airlines first was the start of the Boeing 727 in service by any airline. That date, February 1, 1964, Eastern took the first passengers in what was dubbed the Whisper Liner from Philadelphia to Miami via Washington. A new EAL logo was unveiled in 1965, replacing the familiar Duck Hawk. Captain Rickenbacker retired as chairman on January 1st, and a new theme, the Wings of Man, carried 14.95 million passengers with a fleet of 177 aircraft. In 1966, more new pilots were hired than in any year since Eastern started operating. The new executive office building, Building 16, was completed at the Miami base. 65 new airplanes, DC-9s and B-727s, were put into service. In January 1967, Mackey Airlines was merged into the Eastern System. In February, the DC-9 series started with 10 that were placed into service on the air shuttle. And in June, a new service started to Portland and Seattle, Later in the year, Eastern started flying charters for the U.S. Air Force Military Airlift Command, which was commonly called MAC. More aircraft are purchased in 1967 and 68 period. That included 17 DC-861s and six DC-863s. Art Lewis was named president, and Floyd Hall became chairman and CEO. Eastern was now an intercontinental airline when the new routes opened to Los Angeles by way of Dallas and also Miami, Los Angeles. Seattle and Portland had been awarded earlier in the 1960s. Art Lewis resigned as president. The 1970s, called the Lost Generation, are famous for bell-bottoms and the rise of disco. But it was also an era of economic struggle, cultural change, and technological innovation. The 70s are remembered as an era when the women's rights, gay rights, and environmental movements competed with the Watergate scandal, the energy crisis, and the ongoing Vietnam War for the world's attention. Representative of this decade in music was this very successful song.
And over at Eastern in the 70s, Sam Higginbottom was named president. Floyd Hall is still the chairman. The total employees now is at 31,500. The airline carried 22.38 million passengers with a fleet of 220 aircraft. Just before Walt Disney World opened in 1971, Eastern became its official airline. It remained the official airline of Walt Disney World and sponsored a ride at the Magic Kingdom Park, if you had wings. Another first for Eastern Airlines with the new Lockheed L-1011's arrival, and the first flight with passengers was April 26, 1972. That was New York to Miami. Unfortunately, the same year, the L-1011 crashed in the Everglades near Miami on December 29, 1972. Eleven L-1011s are in service by the end of 1972. Care Bear Airlines is acquired in 1973 by Eastern. Captain Eddie Rickenbacker died while in Europe, and Eastern sent an airplane to bring back his body along with the Rickenbacker family. This was a year that the fuel crisis started with costs skyrocketing. Large-scale personnel reductions are made with S.L. Higginbottom resigning as president. Sixteen new L-1011s are delivered, plus nine Boeing 727-200s. Personnel is reduced by 2,200 below the 1973 level and is now at 32,600 people. The new theme for Eastern is you got to believe. Fuel expenses are up 57% in 1974 over 1973. 246 aircraft are in the fleet at the end of the year. In 1975, Frank Borman named president and chief operating officer. Floyd Hall is still the chairman. 32,800 employees worked for Eastern. Floyd Hall's 12-year contract expired December 1976, and he left, leaving Frank Borman as the CEO and the chief operating officer. In-flight movies are started. The total aircraft now is 250 with 29 L-1011s. When former astronaut Frank Borman became president, the Wings of Man theme was replaced by a new campaign, We Have to Earn Our Wings Every Day. Through the finance genius of Charlie Simons, the A300B4 Airbus service is started. Eastern was the first American carrier to operate the aircraft, giving a foothold in the U.S. to Airbus Industries. Seventeen new aircraft are added to the fleet, including four A300Bs under a test program. In 1978, it's the 50th anniversary for Eastern. Employees are now up to 37,100. Eastern, the carrier, 37,448,000 passengers are carried with a fleet of 257 airplanes. And on October 24, 1978, the Airline Deregulation Act was passed. As the decade came to a close, 1979 marked the fourth straight year of profitable operations 
with a net income of $57.6 million. Eastern added 1,800 employees. The new aircraft included five A300Bs and 10 Boeing 725s. And the record 42,236 million passengers are carried. Well, the 1980s was called the X generation. Sailing is the 1980s soft rock song written and recorded by American artist Christopher Cross. It was released in June 1980 as the second single from his debut album in 1979. The song was a success in the USA, reaching number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart on August 30th. 1980. The song won Grammy Awards for uh, Record of the Years, Song of the Year, and Arrangement of the Year, and helped Cross win the Best New Artist Award. VH1 named Sailing the most sensational soft rock song of all time. The song was later identified as an archetype of the Janeer that later became known as Yacht Rock. Cross and similar artists referred to the style as the West Coast style at the time.
reporting for 1980 were $39,152 for a second year in a row. A new terminal opened in Atlanta, and new reservation offices opened in Salt Lake City and Tampa. Employees now at 40,500 with 275 aircraft. 1981, Eastern began service to Baron Creela, Columbia. A new theme, America's favorite way to fly, was used in marketing. Low fares of new deregulated carriers kept cut deeply into revenue. Lost for the year, $65.9 million. Fuel cost was up 18% over 1980. 1,500 full-time employees and 1,000 part-time employees are laid off. With the purchase of Braniff South American Routes and still the top carrier in passengers, 35-plus million, the loss for 1982 was $74.9 million. The company took delivery of the first two B-757s with 13 more due in 1983. Eastern became the first carrier to fly Bowen's new glass cockpit and highly advanced airliner. Labor relations in 1983 worsened with much adverse publicity on the possibility of financial default of the airline. A wage investment program is negotiated with IM and Alpha approval and approval of the non-contract workers. Eastern lost out as top U.S. carrier with 36.788 million passengers for the year. Total employees are now at 37,100 and a loss for the year of $183.7 million. In 1984, Get Up and Go Passport is developed for senior citizens. Service to Peru stopped in May due to disagreement between the United States and Peru. Eastern added 1,300 full-time employees and now has 284 airplanes in its fleet. The loss for the year is $37.9 million. After June 1985, the year turned out to be the most traumatic since deregulation. Eastern is now operating at a below per seat mile cost. The Miami-London route was approved. The overnight air freight with a hub at Houston with Moonlight Special Fares was started. Finances worsened, although a profit of $6.31 million was posted for the year. Joe Leonard was named president and chief operating officer, with Frank Borman remaining chairman. Employees were increased to 41,000. 41.668 million passengers were carried with a fleet of 289 aircraft. During the first seven months of 1985, Eastern had shown an operating profit of almost $300 million and an all-time record net profit of $168 million. Despite this, on February 26, 1986, the Eastern Board of Directors voted to accept an offer from Frank Lorenzo's Texas Air Corporation to purchase the airline. It was later uncovered that Eastern financed a good portion of its own purchase by Texas Air. This action came despite new labor work rule and cost reductions that were ultimately approved by ALPA and the TWU early in the morning of February 26th. After the handover to Texas Air, Frank Borman ultimately resigned and became a member of the Board of Directors of Texas Air. 
the late Phil Bakes was named New Eastern President on October 17, 1986, while Joe Leonard was named Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer. It came to, as no surprise that under Texas Air Management, by 1987, the airline started to unravel, going from bad to worse. Eastern and Continental sales were consolidated. Management maintained that it needed to cut labor costs by $490 million that one year to operate profitably. Following this, labor relations only continued to worsen. The state-of-the-art Eastern System One reservation system, known as SOTA, was handed to Texas Air, and Eastern was now charged to use it. Eastern's interest payments to its creditors, Eastern was now over $2 billion in debt, amounted to approximately $327, excuse me, $328 million annually, or roughly $900,000 per day. Since the average gross revenue in 1987 was approximately $11 million per day, thanks to the cuts in flights made by Texas Air Management, this meant that over 8% of Eastern's gross revenue had to be paid out as interest. In February of 1987, the Federal Aviation Administration imposed a $9.5 million fine against Eastern Airlines for maintenance safety violations, which at the time was the largest fine assessed against an airline, that is, until American Airlines was fined $24.2 million in 2010. In 1988, Phil Bakes, the then president, announced plans to lay off 4,000 employees and eliminate and reduce service to airports in the western United States, making the claim that the airline was going, quote, back to our roots, unquote, in the east. At the time, Eastern was the largest corporate employer in the Miami area and remained so after these cuts. During Lorenzo's tenure, Easton was crippled by severe labor unrest. Asked to accept cuts, deep cuts in pay and benefits, on March 4, 1989, Lorenzo's Texas Air locked out the Eastern mechanics and ramp service employees represented by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace, Aerospace Workers, the IAM. Concerned that if Lorenzo was successful in breaking the IAM, the pilots and flight attendants would be next, their unions, the pilots represented by ALPA and the flight, flight attendants represented by the TWU, called sympathy strikes. Those actions effectively shut down the airline's domestic operations. Non-contract employees, including airport gate and ticket counter agents and reservation sales agents, could not honor the strike. Due to the lockout and sympathy strike, canceled flights resulted in the loss of millions, and dollar, millions of dollars in revenue per day. In 1989, Lorenzo sold the highly profitable Eastern Shuttle to real estate magnate and now U.S. President Donald Trump, who renamed it the Trump Shuttle, while transferring other valuable parts of Eastern to his Texas Air holding company and its subsidiary, Continental Airlines, an extreme disadvantage to Eastern. In 1989, George Berry, the Georgia Industry and Trade Commissioner, asked Eastern to consider moving its headquarters from Miami to the Atlanta area. But as a result of the strike, the weakened airline structure and other financial problems created by Texas Air, Eastern filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection on March 9, 1989. This allowed Lorenzo to continue operating the airline with non-union employees. However, in 1991, the court finally eliminated Eastern
from Texas Air's control, citing neglect and mismanagement. The court appointed Martin Chagru as Eastern's trustee to oversee its operations. Eastern attempted to remain in business and correct its greatly reduced cash flow, but to no avail. Eastern ceased flying at midnight, Saturday, January 19, 1991, and subsequently filed for Chapter 7 bankruptcy. On the previous evening, company agents, unaware of this decision, continued to take reservations and told callers that the airline was not closing. Following the announcement, 5,000 of the 18,000 employees immediately lost their jobs. Of the remaining workers, reservation agents were told to report to work at their regular times, while other employees were told not to report unless specifically requested to do so. The Eastern shutdown eliminated many airline industry jobs in the Miami, Atlanta, and New York areas. When Eastern shut down, with it went over 50 years of its colorful history and many thousands of jobs. The wings of man were no longer. Thank you so much, uh, host, for uh, Eastern history and a little bit of music uh, inserted there along with the decades uh, of Eastern Airlines, the life of Eastern. I had a song planned for The Wings of Man was no longer, and it was high flight. However, I forgot to load it. (laughs) So we'll do without high flight, which basically is a a song that uh, was uh, written and played for those uh, that uh, are deceased and usually played when pilots pass away a favorite song that is played at different services. So um, I'm going to open our uh, host panel up for discussion of the history of Eastern. Anything you want to add, please uh, let's hear from you and your thoughts about uh, about Eastern Airlines. Who wants to be first? I got a one thing years ago. When Frank Borman was asked to go to uh, Washington, D.C. to uh, face a committee up there about deregulation, he was one of the first, um, I guess, um, major people in the airline business to say, and if you deregulate the airline, there's only going to end up being five major airlines in the next two years. I think he was right. Uh, Chuck, just to correct you, I don't believe that statement was ever made, uh, but I could be wrong. But I don't, I don't recall it ever being made by him. I do recall it being made by some others, but not by uh, Mr. Borman. Well, I'll research it then. Okay. Well, uh, I do recall that I didn't hear it, but I was told it by uh, Ralph Rep. I may have mentioned this before, but some month or so before the uh, airline was delivered to Lorenzo, Frank Borman told the Alpha negotiating committee that if Lorenzo got the airline, he wouldn't even come back to clean out his desk. <laughs> and yet we know that the next day, USA, USA Today had a picture of Frank Borman and Frank Lorenzo with arms around each other on the front page saying, two Franks. And he didn't, he sure as hell did not stay away. He went right back and he ended up being executive uh, chairman, something on the U.S. Texas Air Board. I think George mentioned that. 
And if you don't believe it, just Google Frank Mormon. Um, you'll find out that that's where he went. By the way, all the microphones are open. I had some shut down, so anyone like to make a comment, uh, please do so. Didn't the uh, federal government, I think it was a CAB, forbid Frank Lorenzo from ever owning another airline during his lifetime? Yes. That, that's that true. I'm not sure what the government was, but that's the fact. Yeah, it was the, I believe it was the Department of Transportation when yeah. uh, Bill Bill Clinton was president. That's when that happened. Yeah. If you recall, yeah, he, was going to, he was going to start up a new airline in Baltimore. Yeah. And that's yeah. what led to that. Yeah. Huh. That's too bad. Too bad. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people don't think that way. <laughs> George, George, could you... Uh, uh, could you show some light on uh, what happened uh, as far as the negotiation or Jim or whoever uh, can tell us about uh, President Bush, W.H. Bush, uh, turning down the mediation? Well, about all no. I remember is that it was quarter to midnight on the last day, that the, or night, rather. He had, had to do it by midnight, and he signed that uh, veto that uh, Blue Ribbon Committee at 12.05 on the last day just to really stick it to us. That's why my flag did not play in half mass when he died. <laughs> you know, uh, I remember um, when I, I was no longer with Eastern at the time, but I recall, uh, I believe Skip Copeland was the uh, MEC chairman, and he called me up at my crash pad that night and he told, or that afternoon, or pr- maybe it was prior to that, when uh, both houses of Congress passed that bill, and he was so excited about it, he said, you know, we've got the Blue, Blue Ribbon Commission. And I said, I had told him at that time, I said, uh, that H.W. Uh, Bush was going to veto it. He said he can't, and I said that he has to. And uh, you're right, Jim, it was 15 minutes before it would have automatically became law, that he vetoed it, and I think, I think they attempted to override him, but they only missed by like 18 votes or something, in the House of Representatives. I can't remember, but they didn't get his veto stood. Yep. I think it was the first time in history that it happened in labor yeah. negotiations that President yeah, that's uh, right. refused to. And it passed to get that. Recommend that that law it passed with one vote, I think, in the Senate by one vote, and uh, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, that Bush guy did it to us. You know, 1963, I was district manager at National Airport in Washington, and uh, we were building Dulles Airport at the time, and uh, the Home Office called and asked if I would have some of the sales reps uh, on buses and invite certain uh, 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 congressmen and senators to come on out. First, of course, the sales reps were to take them to lunch and then uh, uh, go out to Dallas Airport. And there were a lot of real nice comments. I think, I guess the company was looking forward to... uh, uh, Gaining some goodwill uh, 
uh, through the congressmen and senators. And one of my sales reps, uh, his name was Clint Anderson. Clint was uh, about 45. He looked like he was 25. But uh, I assigned Clint uh, to Everett Dirksen. And I said, I want you to take good care of Mr. Dirksen. And <laughs> after, after the event, I had a critique among all the guys. And I said, Clint, where did you take Everett Dirksen for lunch? He said, to the White Tower. And <laughs> you know, I could see Dirksen saying that goddamn Rickenbacker, he's still at it. You know, pitching <laughs> pennies. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, well, good show, good discussion, and uh, good things always have to come to an end. So, Dorothy, tell us about what's coming up. Future well, shows. we have great shows coming up tonight uh, or this uh, month. And uh, the next show is going to be another great one, which Airline was for us. We're kind of waiting to hear all about that, followed by Airline Humor. That's going to be another of the beginning of March. Um, we have uh, three more episodes in March that are going to be really interesting. The Children of the Greatest Generation. The Dirty Dozen of Maintenance, and Holy Blue Sunoco. That's going to be episode 408, so that's going to be really interesting. Uh, Then we have several in April that are already planned, so folks, you need to keep us on your dial every single Monday at 7 o'clock, and we'll give you some great stories of our Eastern Company. Dorothy, when is the Air Cargo show going to take place? Uh, the Air Cargo is going to be April 15th. We okay. Have the schedule. That's going to be episode 411 on April 15th. Very good. We also Rich. want to thank our sponsors, the uh, Retired Eastern Pilot Association. We really rely on the Eastern Pilots to Uh, Be generous with their contribution each year. We thank them so much for doing so. Uh, We look forward to hopefully another good year. And we also would like to see uh, some of our 2019 members uh, sponsor us a little bit more, uh, contributing some donations to us. We have every donation that anyone has given us from 2018 all the way down to previous years on our website, indicating those folks that were generous and gave their sponsorship to us. So we're looking forward to another good year, and that keeps our radio show going twice a week and our website and our blog talk radio. So without you folks, we don't have any of that going. So just keep us going and keep the name of Eastern Airlines out in the public eye. Back to you, Neil. Uh, Neil get, uh, yeah, go ahead, uh, Jim. Yeah, I just wanted to point out that last Saturday at our board meeting, we uh, unanimously voted to continue a contribution to the radio show at the same rate we've been doing for many years. So oh, we got another fabulous. one coming. Oh, Thanks so much. Fabulous. Wow, thank Thanks. you so much. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate that. Boy, that's great. Good news for sure. 
Okay, Wonderful. thanks so much uh, to everyone. Uh, Johnny, uh, if you'll relay uh, Jim to John Steinmetz. He's the president this year, isn't he? Yes, he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, your board of directors. And thank well, you all. Well, I got to tell you, though, that was the caveat to the, this uh, donation that we made to you guys. They said they had to keep me off the show. We weren't going to do it. <laughs> We'll do it under duress, Jim, but we're certainly happy to do it as we have their donation. That is fabulous. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Jim, I, I thought they would have insisted that you remain on the show. Well, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't want, let's just talk about something else here. You can take over the show if you like. <laughs> Well, don't forget, if you want to know what topics we're, we're, we're doing each Monday, you can go to the website, and there under the home uh, uh, home page uh, where it says home, uh, the top of the toolbar there, or menu bar, I guess is what I'm looking for, There underneath that is a calendar page, and you can go to that calendar page and find out what's happening around, not only with uh, with the radio show topics, uh, uh, you can also uh, see things that are happening with uh, the flight attendants and uh, uh, others that uh, Dorothy has put on the calendar, uh, luncheons and so forth, and uh, the REPA meetings. I think you've got uh, the REPA meetings also in there too, Dorothy, don't you? Uh, actually, I don't, but I certainly would love to do that. Yeah. If uh, someone can provide that to me, uh, I'd be more than happy to. And also, if anyone has uh, any of the Eastern Chapter meetings that they'd like us to notify people of, we'd be happy to put them also on the calendar. So just send out an email to host at com, and we'll be happy to accommodate those dates. Now, if you hey, like you. the music, it's, yeah, go ahead. George? I have one question. What what is the uh, what's the status of uh, uh, the retired Eastern? Not the retired. The uh, what is it, EARA? What, what what is the status of that? Any, does anyone know? Yeah, I can know? tell you about it. Uh, the president has just moved out of Miami and now lives in Boca Raton. Uh, he's uh, had a broken ankle recently, so he's incapacitated, but he's remaining in touch with the office. I think they have a girl in the office either three or four days a week for a few hours, Uh, and they are, uh, they're planning, of course, to close the office in November, and in November, there is also a very large picnic that takes place Uh, in the Miami Springs area, and they're going to take everything out of the office and bring it uh, to that picnic, and I guess they're going to auction it off or something. But uh, that will be the end of uh, EARA. Now, our local chapter here in West Palm Beach uh, has discussed this already, and they want to stay together. We have lunch on the third Thursday of each month at the uh, Olive Garden restaurant. And they want to continue meeting because we've become such a close-knit group. And I'm sure we're probably uh, uh, other uh, chapters throughout uh, the system will be doing something similar. 
I would say they would, Jim, too, because there's no reason why any of the chapters can't stay on their own. Uh, just because error is going down doesn't mean that they can't uh, do what they've been doing all the way along the line. Um, That's right. Everybody looks forward to that. And certainly yep. if any of the chapters at that point would like to write to us, uh, we'll be happy to put their meetings on our calendar as well. So we encourage everyone to think about that and uh, just to let us know and be happy to do that. That's good, Dorothy. Uh, we, we've also stopped collecting any dues. Uh, the only uh, reason we collected dues was to help pay for any mailings uh, we had to do within our own chapter members. Are they going to yeah. continue the magazine and, and the newsletter until uh, newspaper or whatever until November? Yes, that will be going sometime in the next few months, Jim. It will be discontinued, and that's why the president says, please, if you if you have a a recent uh, publication, take the section out that uh, tells about our reduced rate transportation because apparently the other airlines have been contacted and they will continue to honor Eastern's reduced rate uh, provisions. Well, it's still at the PBGC, and I would gather that in order to keep any of the airline passes, you definitely have to have uh, the direct connection with PBGC. You have to have a pension in order to get those passes. Um, yes, yes. Right, and that's still going to have to continue in order to do it. Just because the error is going away doesn't mean that that's discontinued. That hasn't that's been right. told to us, and I would gather it remains the same for as long as they continue it. Yes, Dorothy. Does that answer your question, George? Yeah, yeah, it does. Yes, thank you. Very good. And okay. you have to remember, folks, too, that if people didn't volunteer down there, all that work down there are volunteers. So the place couldn't stay open because they just didn't get local volunteers enough to keep it going. There is That's no right. To do the, the newspaper. There, there isn't anybody to do it. They're far away, and nobody can reach them at times. So, uh, and and the uh, uh, lease expired this last uh, this October coming up. So therefore, they have no choice. They either have to continue it or stop it, and they can't afford to stay there because they have no one to run it. There's only a gal there, like Jim said, two or three days a week, and they're trying to take care of that. But uh, it isn't enough to take care of everything that comes into that office. You've got to have volunteers, and our age group just doesn't allow it. The building we all should, be, all should be thankful that we had it as long as we did. That's correct. Yes. The building is being sold, according to the president. Yeah, it's going to be a school. Okay. Ah. Okay, they we're going to land this airplane.
great landing, Captain, as usual. Be sure to tune in again next Monday, February 25th, when America's favorite way to fly returns to the cyber waves with Who's On First? The story of America's first airline and who laid claim to that distinction. With this, we sign off by playing Jimmy Durante's salute to Mrs. Calabash. Mr. Producer, please, if you will. Good night, good night, good night. It's time to say good night. Jim, would you finish the rest of it? Good. Uh, okay, everyone, good night. Good night, Eastern family and friends around the world. And good night, Eastern Airlines, wherever you are. We love you, Eastern. We love you. We love you, Eastern. Good night. Good night, Eastern. Thank you so much. Great show, Neil. It was very, very All of you did a great job. Thanks. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.